a podcast where we speak to individuals with lived mental health experiences to help people feel less alone and more connected. In this episode we delve into the extraordinary journey of James, a man who confronted the darkest depths of his mind and emerged stronger than ever. At the age of 26 James faced a breakup that caused sleepless nights and crippling stress. Due to his high level of stress and lack of sleep James developed psychosis where he dealt with hallucinations and delusions. James believed that the TV and radio held cryptic messages meant just for him, and he was convinced he could manipulate the weather. His life spiralled into chaos, leading to being hospitalised, but ultimately receiving the intervention and treatment that he desperately needed. James has not only reclaimed his life, but also found love and happiness in his recent marriage, James has transformed his experience into a powerful narrative, writing his first book to hopefully inspire and uplift others who face similar challenges. Thank you so much for being here and listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Your Dose. Today we are speaking with James. Hello James. Hi, you right? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm um, got today off because um, I'm a stag at the weekend, so I'm a bit sore and tired from that. And uh, I thought it'd be a sensible recovery day, and uh, so it was good timing that you had this day free and I was off. Amazing. So you're not feeling hungover today? You kind of recovered now. That was me. That was yesterday. Yeah. So I'm a bit because we did a activity. I'm still quite kind of sore from that, but um, otherwise all good. What was the activity? It was this um, Zorb football, and uh, it's like a where you got a rubber bubble around you that it covers everywhere apart from your legs. So you try oh, wow. and play football, but people just you run into each other and knock each other over, and it's um, really funny. And uh, we also is there did alcohol a... involved in that, or is there that's that sober sport? Um, in my experience, it was sober, but then we did another activity, the foot golf. Um, and we got to the golf course and my friend give, gave me a shot before the golf course. <laughs> but, okay. Um, yeah, really funny weekend. Oh, good. I mean, stags are always pretty mental, aren't they? So I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're here for the podcast. At least it was, it was it's today and not yesterday that we're doing this because it might have not been the same call. <laughs> I probably would have said, sorry, can we reschedule? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. Well, um just to just to learn a little bit about more about you as a person before we go into the, the mental health journey. So you're I can tell based in the UK. Whereabouts? In um Watford, it's like near London in Hertfordshire. Very nice. Never been, but I've heard Hertfordshire's a lovely place. And I did a little bit of stalking, James, before we um had our call today. And you work for Mind, is that right? Yeah, I work for one of the local mines, so Hertfordshire Mine Network. Um, so they're sort That's of separate. Really cool. Yeah, they're separate from the main charity mines, but um, still like the same kind of, you know, purpose and brand and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. That's amazing. And you're in marketing for Mind. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so what sort of things do you do from a marketing perspective? I do all the social media and update the website and um I go to quite a lot of events to talk about our services. Um so yeah, it's the perfect job for me because it combines because it's what I did for my degree in marketing and then I've got lived experience of mental illness which we'll talk about. So um it's nice to do something with my career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. I love that. Um, I once applied for a job at Mind a long time ago. Didn't get it, but it's a it's an it's amazing company. Um, and yeah. yeah, I love what they do. Thank you for that. Anyway, giving us a, a brief overview of where you're from, what you do. Um, but obviously, what we're here for today is to learn a little bit more about your mental health journey. Um, now, typically, I'd ask people what their mental health journey is so far, but I'm, I kind of want to want to change it a little bit today. Now. James lives with schizoaffective disorder, which is something that we've not covered on this podcast before. And I'm really, really looking forward to hearing more about your story, to be honest. So I think one of the first questions that I'd like to ask you today for the listeners, um, in your words, what exactly is schizoaffective disorder? So the easiest way for me to describe it is um, if they, if anyone kind of knows what bipolar and schizophrenia are um you imagine those two at the end of a spectrum like a line and um schizoaffective is kind of sits in the middle somewhere because it's got um symptoms of both of those so it's both a, a mood disorder and a psychotic disorder um and mm. i think my version of it is more towards the psychotic schizophrenia end because i take antipsychotics and I have taken mood stabilizers in the past, but I don't take them at the moment. So I'm kind of more that end. Yeah, because if it was if it was more the other end, um, the bipolar end, your mood would be not be stabilized. And obviously, if you're not, that's right, and you're not taking mood stabilizers, so clearly it's not that, and it's more the psychosis. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, what were your first signs and symptoms of this, and what sort of age were you at the time? I was 26 and um, the signs and symptoms were that um, I was talking really fast and jumping from one subject to the other and um, it kind of started because I was under a lot of stress because um, I was going through a breakup and uh, I lost um, a lot of sleep, like I had a lot of sleepless nights. Um, mm. So my brain was in like a kind of hyper mode um because it was so, so like sleep deprived and um you start to get kind of a bit delusional delusional and have like hallucinations and stuff so uh yeah it can be quite kind of, kind of scary not just for yourself but like for those around you as well because you're behaving quite out of character yeah so you were 26 which is interesting because i always thought that this was something that happened earlier on in life or maybe like some sort of genetic predisposition that you were born with I mean obviously you might have done more research around this since you've had it but mm. do you think that the stress that this was always something that was there and the stress triggered it um and do you think it was the, the stress or was it something else yeah so I know kind of other people and I've read stories of people younger than me having it um 
Mm. And it's a good question because um, it, I used to, I still do in a way, kind of think about different parts of my life, um, like when I was younger. And there's a few times actually when I was a bit, I remember being on holiday in my early 20s and being really sleep deprived and being a bit hyper and out of character then. And um, luckily, like when I got home, I just caught up and sleep again and I was kind of back to normal. Um, so mm. it is like it kind of, it might have always been lurking, if that makes sense. And then the stress of, because it was my first like proper serious relationship as well. Like I'd had others, but not like a, it was a three year one. So it was suddenly a big hole in my life uh, when the breakup yeah. happened. And then I, I didn't have the experience and I wasn't able to, to cope with it. And um, yeah, sort of like my world fell apart and uh, it was properly triggered. Wow. So would you mind like going into what hallucination might have looked like at the time? Yeah, I um, was uh, kind of, because I've always watched plenty of TV and listened to the radio, but I thought like I was kind of getting messages from these channels, which normally kind of you would listen or watch and think, oh, it's just a coincidence that I was thinking about this and now it's like on the program. But when your mind's like that deprived, you suddenly, you form this idea in your head that, um, it's kind of like a coded message for you and once you kind of have that sort of fixed belief it's kind of hard to convince to be convinced that you're you're wrong um so mm -hmm. I thought I was getting messages like from these digital channels but at one point it even um involved the weather like I would if I was in a happy mood and then the sun came out I'd suddenly think it was all connected and if it suddenly started getting cloudy and dark when I was feeling kind of sad or angry, I'd think that was a sign as well. Um, so it's yeah. all this kind of like just coincidental things that you wouldn't normally pick up on. Um, but because you're sort of sleep deprived, it's like you're, it sort of feels like you've got heightened other sentences because you like a loud noise might make you jump, whereas normally it wouldn't um so you say it's very different from kind of everyday being healthy life it's um yeah it's bizarre to so almost like quite paranoid really of everything like that's yeah. those texts it's like almost like a sense of paranoia in a way isn't it that people are like listening in watching you is it was it that sort yeah. of thing so i know that yeah um and when you were experiencing this obviously 26 male um must have been really scary did you tell people at the time what was going on um I didn't really I kind of people noticed from my behavior and then kind of like my family and said that I am acting strangely and I'm not well and um unfortunately back then I I was also kind of in denial um and I think it kind of part of it was like being male and thinking oh I'm not unwell I, I'll, I'll get through this like by myself I don't need help um which was unfortunate because that it would have been different outcome if I'd kind of listened to the people around me and like just took a step back and 
you know, I'm I'm not well. I've just had a breakup. I'm not sleeping. I need to just pause. Mm. But I just kind of tried to carry on with with life, and uh, it all just went downhill. So when you say carried on with life, does that mean that you were still going to work at the time? I'm assuming you might have been working. Were you still like going out with? I'm 20, 26, quite, I'm 27. I mean, most weekends are spent going out drinking, to be honest. Or like, you know, there'll be a, there'll be nights, definitely every every other weekend, there'll be something going on, like a social event with friends. So were you still engaging with all of that, plus also having this psychotic episode? Yeah, so up until I got sectioned, I was still trying to go to work. And I remember my manager sort of sitting me down and trying to, speak to me and I was trying to explain to her what was going on in my head and she was just saying like sorry you're not making any sense um and there's also a a weekend where I went to a friend's barbecue um and I traveled down to the the house and like it was kind of like a barbecue house party and my friends all kind of noticed that I wasn't myself at that point um Mm. you know I was trying to kind of just do things that I was doing before I was unwell, but I wasn't equipped. Like I wasn't, I was drained. I had such a drained battery. Like my mind was really broken and uh, I was kind of trying to carry on regardless of that. And when you say that's quite interesting, because I've heard of this before when people are going through like a psychotic episode, when they just, they're, so you because they don't make sense with what they're saying but you thought you made sense but when Mm. it came out of your mouth it wasn't it was like jumbled words is that yeah it's like your thoughts are really kind of intrusive and and like racing thoughts and you're trying to speak but like you can't keep up with your minds and that's where like the sort of jumping one subject to the other kind of comes in um it's like you're just talking, 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 not like pausing to take a breath. And it's also like you've got no filter. So um, you keep like saying things and you, you don't really hold back and think, should I share this? And yeah. it just sort of comes out in like a words jumble. I mean, I've been, there's been times in my life and I bet that some of the listeners where you're really tired and all of a sudden just something really random comes out and you don't like, why did I just say that? And I guess that's what yours would have been like, but all the time, like you'll have just said, like, I, I can't think of an example, but sometimes I'll be really tired and I'm, and I say something and it just, just makes zero sense. But did you think that you were making sense? Yeah. It's um, <laughs> thinking back now, it's hard to kind of, for me to believe that I thought I was making sense back then um yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to explain you're just in your own mind you're sort of so sure of yourself and maybe a bit overconfident and um you know it wasn't till I started taking medication and receiving the help that I had that kind of hindsight and realized that you know what what the hell was I doing kind of thought yeah I mean I'm, I'm really interested to hear about your um experience being sectioned but before that, I wanted to ask you about the physical effects of this. Like, um, into yeah, I mean, what what happened physically during this period? Um, do you mean like kind of what I was up to, kind of thing? 
So in terms of your body, like, did you start to, did your body start to be affected by what was going on at this time? Obviously, you're sleep deprived, but like, were you, were you eating the same or were those sorts of things being affected? Um, I think it was just like my decision making was just different. Like, I was spending quite a bit of money and like buying things online that I didn't need. Um, yeah. But I guess, I, I guess a lot of people call it invisible illness because I think someone who came across me who didn't know me probably wouldn't necessarily realise that I wasn't well. Um, it's like mm. when people know you and know what you're like, because I'm normally quite introvert and I can be quite quiet and shy. Um, yeah. I was very loud and talkative and hyper, so it's kind of like, you know, they'll stop and be like, why is he suddenly different? Why all of a sudden is he, yeah. Anyone yeah. else would think, oh, he's just and a very uh, bubbly kind of guy. That's really interesting. Um, and so obviously this was a, at the age of 26. Was it within your 26th year that you got sectioned or how long was it going on for until that happened? Mm. Yeah, I get quite quite reflective this time of year in September because it I, I was sectioned in September 2016. So I think I just turned wow. 26 in July of that year. So yeah, I was very much in that like mid 20s part of my life. And how did you end up getting sectioned? So when I first was displaying the kind of warning signs, mum took me to uh, my GP and um, unfortunately they they said they were going to get me help from the mental health team but there was like a two-week wait and um, my mum was kind of effectively told like um, her and my dad and everyone needed to sort of like look after me and kind of contain me until they could see me but then w within that two weeks I just got progressively worse and mum ended up taking me to um, uh a and &E. in fact I got taken she called um the ambulance to her house because I was starting to worry her that much and the ambulance took me to A&E and that's where they assessed me at Watford hospital and then I was taken from the hospital to the ward in a, in a taxi like quite late at night um I, and this is fine if you don't want to answer this question but what was it exactly that you were doing at that point that your mum decided I mean it must have been pretty serious if your mum decided to call the ambulance yeah so I had this um paranoia that my um brother had been monitoring me and um then it sort of turns that he might want to like harm me and kind of um through like because he was on he's always um either gaming or like on his ipad a lot and um I, I thought like he might be tracking me on these devices and he wanted to sort of make my life hell, which was, it's such a scary kind of thing to think back because he's like the last person, like we, we've got a great, you know, sibling relationship now and before I got ill. Um, so I thought, so he had kind of had to stay in a separate room at one point because mum didn't want like, me seeing him to set me off mm. and um I thought other people were like look watching me and I was in my bedroom 
and I was like throwing things out the bedroom window, hoping one someone from the public would like notice this like strange behavior and like get wow. me help. Um, yeah, which is very bizarre. I mean, that's just a, a huge cry for help, isn't it? Um, and it's it's such a shame that I mean, I had a similar thing with. Um, and so many people that come on this podcast have the similar thing where you actually go to get help and you have the courage to go and speak up and the, no, no one could, can see you because there's a waiting list or for whatever reason. And it's crazy how in that period between them saying no and turning you away that you can just decline. And I wonder if it is kind of linked to the fact that you have been ignored and it's like how obviously for you it's something that you can't control, but is it something where it's like, how else can I prove that I'm not well and I need to get some support? And and is that why you, you decline so so rapidly as well? Um, but in terms of your experience being sectioned, what I mean, I've worked on psychiatric wards before, um, and I've worked with some drug induced psychosis patients. Mm. And I mean, I mean, what was your experience like? It started off kind of, I was very wary of the other people who were there and because um, they were unwell, but I, di I didn't know kind of what level of unwell they were. I don't know how long they'd been staying at the wards. Um, I'm not, I didn't know what sort of conditions they had, if they were dangerous. Um, there was a couple yeah. sort of incidents where there was an older gentleman who sort of snapped at me for no reason when I kind of, I might have been too close to him and I didn't realise he doesn't like people too close. Um, and there was a separate guy who he was sort of pacing up and down the lounge area or the kitchen area, I think it was. And he he kept looking at me and like maintaining, he wouldn't stop like looking at me and I didn't know why. So I kind of got a bit scared of him and decided to make sure there was always a staff member kind of in between me and him at all times. Like um, but then towards the end of my stay, I was just really sort of sad and upset that I was there. Like I'd break down in tears a lot just because I wanted to go home. Um, and it took a while to kind of, for me to realise why I was there, like that I needed to focus on getting better. There was kind of like a, a turning point where I realised that the best way I'm going to be able to get out and go home is to just take the medication and be on my best behavior and just do everything they ask of me um because yeah, yeah it's I didn't know how long I was going to be there I remember constantly asking when can I go home when can I go home and not being given a kind of answer to that was kind of distressing yeah I mean when I worked on these wards it was it was always the case where especially when people would initially come in and very much with drug-induced psychosis it's like they're very in denial about what's going on and they don't and they don't they're obviously still in a state of like psychosis and I don't think it's probably when the medication started to kick in and everything else but you started to like feel a little bit more normal but I mean they are um they're difficult places to be in um and obviously especially when you're kind of surrounded by people who are also unwell and then you can quite easily fall into patterns of behavior with those unwell people so it's very difficult 
from just from an outsider looking in and working in those places I, I mean to be able to try and get better because there's so much going on around you that's that's very much out of your control as well um yeah. but how long were you in the psychiatric ward for um four weeks was my initial kind of um section um it's funny though because having said everything we've talked about they're actually they're not horrible places like they're full of like really good staff and the facilities are usually really good as well like you get your own room and um I think I I got an ensuite at one point and you know the food's fine and um it's just because of your illness that they seem like the worst places in the world but it was very like necessary to start my recovery um and I always it, it amazes me how because it, it was the longest four weeks of my life but as you probably know from working there some people are there for months and I just can't imagine never get out yeah 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 um I mean yeah I mean there's people who will probably be in the system potentially forever and not get out um so it's amazing that you managed to to recover and and get out of there um because yeah i mean months and months in there it can be really really difficult on on your mental health but i mean weird question but did you make any like connections in there like fr- any friendships been... i know that forwards is a long time but yeah um so the guy who snapped at me we were actually kind of three of us were playing a game of pool and I was quite good I got along with the other one and he also got mm. along with the guy who snapped to me and so it was just kind of um unfortunate I didn't get on with both of them but then towards the end there was a guy a bit younger than me um and we kind of bonded we just chatted a lot and watched like dvds and stuff and kicked a ball like in the um outside area against the wall and just we kind of bonded a bit and like when I because I got to go home before him so it was a bit like a sad moment for both of us like I mean I was happy to be going home but he he kind of because we were like a pair who got along I guess um I mean I hope he got out soon after me um but he was he seemed sad that I was going and I was kind of wish I could have like you know seen him again or you know yeah now to tell him it's all going to be okay <laughs> that's kind of nice though isn't it that you had each other and you you know the, those places can be quite lonely and you're not with your family you're not with your friends I don't know if you had yeah. your access to your mobile phone I know sometimes that's limited as well so mm. it's uh you know it can be a really lonely place but we are so when once you left the the ward um did you go straight back home or was there anywhere in between? I went straight back home and I'm lucky to have that I had such a great support network. So I think the reason my stay was four weeks and not longer was because it was like an agreement that when I got let home, I was going to have um, people come visit my home every day to check things were going like how we, there was like a plan that, I had to stick to and I did and um yeah I was lucky that because I know there are some 
kind of in between places people go to where it's like in a sort of assisted living or supported living, yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah i'm just very thankful that i had such a strong support network um they were like part of the reason i was able to recover so um yeah i just feel really lucky that's amazing and what was life like after you came out of the the hospital it was really hard like i was naively i remember sitting in my mum and dad's car going home from the ward thinking the worst of it was over and that i would seamlessly like go back to life but i had some time off for my job and then they did a phase return with me which um started like instead of full time do two half days a week um and i thought it would be fine but being going to work under the heavy medication was really hard it felt like impossible to do my role again and um eventually i i had to kind of leave that job it was like a kind of redundancy type thing um but it wasn't just work that was hard it was hard to go out and socialize um with people cuz i kind of felt all, a lot of different things like I felt sort of embarrassed and ashamed at what had happened to me and um how I'd behaved and it was hard being part of my group of friends like kind of I felt like I was just there and I had I didn't really have anything to offer like other than my presence that like, I, w- I wasn't very talkative and because it was hard when you're you're kind of suppressed by the, the medication um so yeah, yeah I got yeah. quite kind of depressed and it was really hard to um, kind of get life back. Um, it was, a, yeah, quite a long, much longer recovery than I thought it was going to be. That sounds so difficult. And I can, like, it's weird because I, I can kind of, like, imagine the whole scenario of, like, wh- how you would have been in those moments. And it's, it's probably so much going on in your head, plus the medication, plus, like, going back as a male into a group of friends who all I'm assuming they knew that you were in the ward as well and that probably felt like I don't know embarrassing or or you know and that's something that it's not it's difficult to talk about and I suppose that really goes into the next question which was around your friends and being you know guessing a group of boys who men don't talk about their feelings how how did your friends deal with it um they were amazing like, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm lucky um my group of friends both from school and university are kind of good good examples I think of um being male because at, I remember at school and uni we would talk about stuff and we weren't guys who would like never talk about our feelings so they were like they were brilliant like they it must have been hard for them because they probably didn't want to ask me too much about the experience mm. and upset me but at the same time they just wanted to support me um it's funny one of my friends from school when we were just on the it was the first night of the stag I saw him the other day and uh he kind of mentioned how he about when he visited me when I was in the wards and I actually mm. I remember meeting him not long after coming out but I actually had no idea he came into the ward and met me and I've only found this out like the other day and it's like seven years ago this happened so I kind of want to see him again and 
ask him more about our encounter back then as much as I probably am scared about how I behaved or what I said and stuff um but yeah going back to like having a good support network I just feel so lucky that I had that that's um that's really interesting so you actually forgot about him being there in the ward yeah because I think what it must be is because it's um it's trauma and it's the lack of sleep and it's the medication you don't right going through psychosis you don't remember everything um and I've had this with people like I've I've got friends who have been through it as well and like people who I speak to on social media who've been through it and it seems quite common that you have some form of like kind of either a complete memory loss or like a partial memory loss and um I think it's because you know when you sleep properly your brain repairs itself and you can remember fairly well but like when you're sleep deprived and in psychosis you can't you don't have the ability as much yeah that makes sense um and in terms of your so your friends have obviously been amazing support um your mum's clearly you know been supportive as well but what about romantic relationships obviously you're getting married but how has has um schizoaffective disorder affected specifically your romantic relationships in any way um i mean so i i had the the breakup in 2016 and then that um yeah we tried to be friends after but it didn't work out and then it affected me big time when um because like you sort of have a break when you've had a breakup from the single life you don't rush back in I think I probably tried to rush back in too soon and went on some dates which in hindsight were pointless because I I, I wasn't really in a good place myself and um it took me a long time to get my confidence and self-esteem back because I put on a lot of weight um and yeah I was just really in in a bad way and then I, I did eventually um like when I started sort of talking about it and getting like, and exercising and like writing and stuff like I kind of slowly got the confidence and self-esteem back and then had you know better day experiences and um it's good timing when I met my now fiance I was in like quite a good um place like I had a full-time job again and I'd had like a really good year so it was like a good time to meet each other um because I, mm. I used to be very self-critical and really I used to like kind of um almost hate myself and like by the time I met her I'd had some CBT as well and like I learned to have the self-compassion and the self-love so I, I'd worked on myself a lot so um it was really good time in that we met when I was in like a really good place and so she and she and she's been able to support you if you have any like I mean do you have any what is what is your life like now it's um how, how does disorder affect you today for example 
Yeah, so as long as I keep taking my medication, it's almost like a... I was going to say like a sleeping giant, that doesn't sound quite right, but it's like a... <laughs> it's something I keep at bay because the medication helps me sleep and um, I can kind of get by day to day, like I can have a job and I can do these everyday things because and it, the medication is just such a important like foundation for me it's like a platform for me to be able to do things and I know from yeah. experience if I don't if I stop taking it or if I, I forget to take it I'm starting to I'll start to get unwell so I just know it's I need to stick to that and when you say that you start to get unwell what would be the first sort of signs and symptoms of that of that happening um so i guess it's like without the medication i'd be i'd have a lot of um trouble falling asleep so i can i can deal mm. with like one bad night's sleep maybe a few and kind of recover it's just like if it's consistent bad sleep and um again i can kind of as long as I'm self-aware of it, I'm okay. But if I'm like, it's all it's all to do with stress. So, I, again, I can handle a bit of stress, and a bit of stress they say is like good for you in a way. Um, but I have to be careful, and my my partner, and my family know as well. Like, if something's stressful, like they're very they help me out a lot. Like um, when me and my partner were buying our first property I got quite stressed about that and they were really helpful and we've both been a bit stressed paying the wedding and they've you know people around me have just been very great like kind supportive. of offering, yeah supportive like taking things off my plate like can I do this for you instead and so I've sort of built up a self-awareness and I've learned a lot of my, about myself through the experience. That's amazing and in terms of other strategies obviously you're saying stress is a, a big trigger no sleep so obviously trying to manage those and how do you manage that like what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis to, to keep it at bay aside from medication and therapy it's like a lot of little things like there's no real kind of one thing I do it's like I do plenty of exercise and I try and eat well um mm -hmm. try and do plenty of writing like preferably with pen and paper um yeah and like socialize with people um do some meditation and yoga um yeah it's a lot of different things that, and together they all combine like to keep me well yeah would you say that having a routine is important to you i'd say yeah because i usually take my meds around the same time every every evening so that sort of regulates when I get tired, when yeah. I'm in bed. Um, so when it starts to get late, about an hour before I'm planning on going to bed, I'll put my phone on, uh, what's the word, when you um, change the screen. You know, so, the yeah, um, and eye comfort mode. So, yeah, and I try oh. and spend the last sort of out half an hour to an hour, like reading or, you know, doing something mindful, which I know is going to help me sleep. Yeah, that's really good. And in terms of, so you've spoken about medication, which is obviously really important. Um, but in terms of 
therapy, what exactly have you engaged with and what has been the most effective? The most effective was when I had um, CBT through the NHS. Like mm-hmm. I've, always, I've also had counselling and relationship counselling, but my favourite, my best experience is the CBT I had. Um, and it was, I think it was because the, I feel lucky to have been matched with the person who um, was giving me the, the therapy every week because we kind of really clicked. Um, and yeah. she just was really good at kind of asking me questions which were going to kind of make me question why my mind was, like, why I was doing things which um, weren't helping me. Like, I was trying to avoid stress a lot rather than <clears throat> kind of gradually kind of trying to um, embrace it. And, like, I was trying to... Um, and I was like, you know, quite negative and um, quite critical. So it was like understanding why. And she was really good at giving like kind of metaphors about things and like practical advice like that I could do in between sessions. That's really good. And in terms of the CBT, is that not, is that not something that you do anymore? Is it just solely the medication? Yeah, it's like, but it's something I know it's there again if I need it and um yeah and you kind of have the tools that she's taught you from the yeah. work that you did together I've still got oh, really somewhere good. of all the little like bits of homework she gave me and um yeah I mean it helps that I work in the mental health industry and I'm kind of exposed to these CBT things all the time so I I try and like not forget what I've learned and maybe give myself a refresher if I need it yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, going to something slightly different, but I wanted to ask you about um, any myths associated with schizoaffective disorder or like stigmas that you might want to debunk on here. Yeah, the is there anything? I guess the most common one is about how you know people are dangerous when they have that and um and that they're kind of you know unstable and they they can't they can't kind of do anything other than like living on a ward and um a lot of really like you know successful people have got these conditions and also when you're ill with it like you're actually it's more of a thing that affects only you and like um you're not going to become a dangerous person. Um, and I think it's kind of, things are better now, but back in the day, like films and TV series, like the person with schizophrenia was just some weirdo doing this bizarre stuff. And like there's historically been some really bad portrayals of mental illness. But I think now people are realising it's so much more common and that actually people with the illness can do everyday things they just their their brain is a bit wired differently like their brain chemistry is slightly different and they take medication to balance the brain chemistry so that they can cope with everyday life essentially yeah that's so true I, I remember speaking to this might have been in the years of my work in psychiatric ward and and someone said to me that 
the person with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder is more at harm from others than yeah exactly yeah they're, they're more likely to be harmed by others than than harm others um because they're so like because they're stigmatized in society or whatever it is um they're more at risk and like you said it's more of an internal thing it's like you're going through this in your own head like you're not you're not you're more concerned that other people are harming you from what i've heard in is like of like psychotic episode it's more about feeling like people are out to get you not that you're yeah. out to get others so thank you for that because i think that's that's really really important and that's why i was so happy to have you on this on here as well because you are just a normal person like yes you d- you deal with this and you've had a you know really awful experience but you're okay now you've got a job a really good job you're working in marketing you're getting married um and that just shows that you don't have to be defined by your disorder and um before we you know we finish this and, and i move on to something else i just want to just also add to that that you are an author um so amongst all of this you've wrote a book which is incredible um and yeah i mean maybe you could share with the listeners a little bit about that and, and what exactly the book is about um yeah of course yeah it's um it's called befriending my brain a psychosis story and it's just it's like what we just talked about but it, it's everything it's like all the details it's kind of like starts from when i first got ill and it's um my kind of recollection but also i've thrown in my doctor's notes in there and i've had chats with people who lived it with me and i've typed up those chats and they're in there um and i've there's lots of lists in there like kind of people i follow on socials who are good like rent mental illness and like tv and film that i've watched which are good with mental illness and um so lots of advice and practical takeaways and i try to write it so you can have a great experience reading it um whether you've been whether you've got lived experience or not that sounds incredible because i i think it's so important to have i mean the fact that you've got your doctor's notes in there is really mm. interesting um and obviously actually speaking to people who have their account of it you know your your family and friends and and stuff like that i think that's really interesting to see from their perspective mm. when did you release the book came out march this year and then um i also released the audio book version in about july this year um took a lot longer to record than i thought it would um so it's not yeah it's not been out that long really because we're in september and how has the what has the response been to the book so far yeah it's it's had lots of lovely reviews from people on you know amazon and places like that which really do like warm my heart because you do get that kind of imposter syndrome that is it actually any good and um you don't believe yeah people unless that because if people say it's good that know you you think oh you're you're biased but then when the reviews came in from like people who don't know me that was like really significant and you start to believe in your own writing and stuff um so yeah i'm delighted with what people are saying and it seems to be doing what i set out to do which is kind of help other people so that's like the most important thing so it's really nice to have done that 
That's amazing. How long did it take you to write the book? I actually started writing it in 2018 and I didn't finish till I didn't submit it till last year and it was like a it was like a side project with no deadline it was quite nice so I just dipped in and out whenever I was able to um I might have had like an intense few days writing it and then I might have left it alone for a few months it was just um a little project which was nice and had you always been into writing in the past? Um, to be honest, not like as much as it was what um, set off was I started blogging in 2018. But before that, I wasn't really much of a writer at all. It was kind of the mental yeah. illness kind of turned me into a writer, if that makes sense. It's really interesting, isn't it? Um, and also, I mean there's anything that's come out of it that's great because you've obviously found a new passion for something um and have you got any other books planned after this or yeah um last year I started writing poems really randomly and um I kind of caught the bug writing them so I've been keeping them together and I'm hoping I think I'm up to about 50 something now I'm hoping it becomes like a second book like a poetry book that'd be amazing that's so cool. Well, congratulations on that. And um, I will I will 100% be buying the book for my Australia plane read, which is a lot of time to kill. So yeah, <laughs> I'd um... be really interested. I'm obviously speaking to you today has been really interesting, but um, to be able to see the doctor's notes and also like the your family's perspective, I think hmm. is, um, yeah, is 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 something that's not very common to be able to see that sort of intimate level of someone's disorder if that makes sense it's multiple reasons because i wanted the book to be varied to make it interesting to read like i didn't want it to be too samey but also i think it's good to have different perspectives in there not just people that know me but the doctor's notes are more like clinical so you've got like a kind of real story mm-hmm. and then you've got like a really kind of more expert view um so someone who kind of maybe works in the field might understand them better but yeah I just thought all the different voices and different perspectives and also as I mentioned the memory loss um it kind of made it like I I wanted to fill those um bits of lost memory for the book um and I did that through kind of talking to people so it helps sort of fill in the gaps yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and definitely with the memory loss, I mean, obviously there's a lot of elements that you that you just won't remember. So having that, definitely from the clinical perspective and having that, and that must have been really interesting for you to go back and listen and read those doctor's notes because you don't, that must have been a, a time that, yeah, you don't, you don't remember. Um, so that probably mm. gave you more insight into your disorder as well that you might not have had. Had you not list, read those notes? Yeah, to be honest, um, um, initially but... the doctor's notes, like through, yeah. and yeah. I kind of probably skim read them and, and read them thinking, oh, I didn't enjoy reading them at the time. But then when I, I'm glad I kept them because when I picked them up and I reread them, they were suddenly like, I appreciated them a lot more. Whereas when I was first mm-hmm. recovering, I was kind of like opening it, dreading what I was going to say. And then putting it down, thinking, 
I didn't enjoy reading that. I probably won't look at it again. But you did, and you've now managed to make a book out of it. So pretty amazing, really, overall. Thank you. Um, so when's the wedding? It's 23rd of October, so less than a month away. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited. And where? I bet you are. Where are you getting married? It's a hotel in Watford, so it's quite good because the ceremony and the reception are going to be in the same place and it's somewhere for guests to stay um, and it's like local to both families. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a really special day. And I think what isn't it interesting that there was probably a moment in your life when you're in that ward and, you know, the thought of being married ever being married to you is probably like not even in like that wouldn't have even been possible at the time like you would have probably been th like there probably would element of you but like will I ever be able to live life normally again and Massively, surely yeah. I mean yeah I was, and here you are getting married in October it's amazing I try and like kind of have that um, I try and think back to how I used to be when I was depressed and recovering. I thought I'm never going to meet someone again. Like, and I thought people like me don't get married and have jobs and stuff. And um, I thought it was impossible because, you know, psychosis, it, it derails you so much and it kind of makes you, you not believe that you're going to have these things happen in your life. So um, I try and kind of just keep remembering back to how it was and, to appreciate that the journey if that makes sense yeah and appreciate that it it can get better and your life can you your life can completely turn around from what was actually the lowest point to to a, a marriage in a month just amazing and like I love this because this is what this is all about and being able to have people like you on here to prove that it does not have to define you and it, and it can get better um, and I think that comes quite nicely into the final question of the podcast, which is um, if there is a somebody listening to this right now who is struggling with, um, let's go specifically with with schizoaffective disorder, psychosis, what mm. is the number one piece of advice that you would give them? There's a lot of different things I, I could say, but I, I always kind of, go back to how you can't beat it on your own and that you know it can be hard at first to accept the help um but kind of once you start admitting that you need help and saying yes to it it, it gets better and um it's it's also a point about kind of you've got to kind of find what works for you and not be too put off if um something's not like going your way like before I found my medication I'm on now I tried all sorts of different ones and I thought they were the only option yeah. but there was a, a better option out there and um it's like you just kind of have to keep going like not just for how you feel now but for the the version of yourself in the future who's going to like appreciate you so much for just hanging in there um so yeah if that makes sense I guess that's what I'd tell someone that's amazing i think it makes a lot of sense and i really like it because i think that's the issue sometimes i think people 
like you said, maybe it's a medication or maybe it's a form of therapy or maybe it's their support system or maybe there's, a, you know, there's all these different variables that can affect your recovery. And it is about being open to trying different things and not giving up when that one thing doesn't work. Um, yeah. In like anything in life, like, you know, pivot if and, and try and find something and there will be something that fits. Um, but obviously it can be difficult when you're in a really dark place and you just want to get better um, and you do something and then that doesn't work. It's, oh, well, what's the point? But I guess it's like with anything in life, it takes work and effort um, and persistence and, um, and, it, and, 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 you know, and doing that. And it's not, it's not even a, and it'll get better. And then it's still, you've got to work on it every day. It's like the same mm. for me, you know, I know that I need to have a routine. I need to exercise. I need to eat well. I need to limit how much alcohol I'm drinking. I need to spend time with people who care about me and like, those of those variables still need to be in play now when I'm recovered, because if any of those don't be in play, it's probably going to go downhill again, similar to what, what you spoke about. So, um, yeah, I think it, it, that's what you said was, was really, really important and, you know, not giving up and trying to stay strong and keep going because there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah, it's just not always easy to see that in the moment. So um, thank you so much for being on here. Um, I've loved speaking to you and I'm going to leave a link to your book in the description. Where's the best place to buy your book? Is it Amazon? Yeah, probably Amazon. It's just got the free formats in one place, like the paperback, ebook and audio book. I'd say probably the best. Okay, well, um, I'm really looking forward to reading it. I hope that some of my listeners will, will give it a read too um but yeah I, I really appreciate you being on here today and i have no doubt that you've helped lots of the listeners and also hopefully broke some of the stigma around schizoaffective disorder psychosis um and also educated some people in the process as well thanks a lot for having me um and thanks for being a podcast host because you know you help so many people and uh um help people discover you know that they're not alone so just yeah keep doing what you're doing thanks for having me